you you look like your apartment looks like the saddest place on earth. <laughs> Here's the thing: and is you're like there with a hoodie. The hoodie is for echo cancellation. I figure if I put the hoodie up, it, it captures more of the sound. <laughs> the hoodie is for echo cancellation. I've, a line <laughs> that will go down it is one of the greats in the annals of podcasting history. Welcome to ADSP, the podcast, episode 25, recorded on May 12, 2021. My name is Connor, and today with my co-host Bryce, we revisit the problem, maximum consecutive ones, and discover a missing algorithm. So here's the thing. is So now, <laughs> so let's take a moment to explain uh, my place to you. I have a bed, I have a desk, yeah. and I have an office chair. Um and so the echo's awful. I don't have any other chairs. So right now I have carted my office chair from my office <laughs> through the kitchen, through the living area, through my bedroom into the closet. And my You're you in a really... closet right now? Yeah, it's sort of. It's like it's like an open closet, so it's a it's a closet without like doors in the midst of a hallway. So it's only really got it's not like a closed closet. So like here's the entrance. And also, too, it actually works out quite nice. So my laptop, I cart my laptop and put it on the top of, like, this little drawer thing that's a part of the closet. And then I pull out the second drawer, which is my socks and boxer drawer. And then that's where I put the mic. And it actually works, like, perfectly. Um, Does this apartment have windows? Because I have not seen evidence that this have, apartment have has you not, windows. Have you not seen my view, bro? No, I have not seen your view. Oh, okay. That's a pretty good view. It's a pretty good view. Oh, that's a pretty good view. That's a pretty good. So you're in downtown now. I'm going to have a better view when I'm in New York. Uh, you know yeah, why? Yeah, because you're Bryce. Do you know why I'm going to have a better view in New York? Because you're Bryce. Because I'll be looking at New York City, not Toronto. I mean. Boom. Take that, Canadians. <laughs> Here's what I'll say about New York. I visited once, twice. I can't recall. It smells like garbage. Um, oh, you get used to that. You get used to that. It gives a character. The smell gives a character. Do you want to know why it smells like garbage, Bryce? Well, usually because there's a lot of garbage. Because there's like the same way that in the wintertime, there's big piles of snow on the corners of street in Toronto. There are big piles of garbage. Oh, but bro, bro, you don't even you don't even understand. In New York, between like Christmas and so so the the um the the sanitation workers in New York has a very excellent union. Um and and from like I think it's like from Christmas to January, there's like no trash pickup, like none. And so during this period of time, some quite substantial piles accumulate. Yeah, but the, the the smell the smell gives the city character. It's a problem because I like to run specifically outside, and I can't be inhaling garbage. It's fumes. not that bad. It's not that bad. You're making it sound. You're making it sound like it smells everywhere. It doesn't Just smell the... everywhere. Central Park was quite nice, and if you're most of the places along the sort of what. In Vancouver is called the Stanley Park, the seawall. That's what they call it. 
you can go for like a walk and it's a, uh, you know, pathway that sort of surrounds the park and it's right next to the ocean. That sort of happens in New York. Anyways, enough about New York. Um, anyways, I got this dope set up and uh, my apartment's too big that I would have to furnish it too much. So I'm pretty sure I'm going to, I'm getting my sister, my older sister's moving to Calgary. And so I'm acquiring one coach, one shelf and two patio chairs um, but that still can is you not. Just, can you can you please just just appoint your sisters to decorate your place? Just just for for my benefit. I've only met one third of your sisters, but I'm I'm confident that they're <laughs> they're all classy people who can take care of this problem, and it'll make me sleep better at night. <laughs> I can, I'm definitely going to outsource it to uh, to individuals. It will, I, it's not going to be my responsibility. But this doesn't explain. You asked about the webcam. So I have an external webcam, uh, which I do not. I take my chair. I take my laptop. But the webcam stays on the desk. I can bring the, the webcam next time. But um, it's, yeah, uh, it lo- it's a very it's, – right, yes. right now, I'm looking at Connor, and Connor <laughs> looks like the protagonist in a movie about like a rogue hacker. He's like, he's like super blurry and he's got his hoodie on and he's in like a white void. The hoodie is for echo cancellation. I figure if I put the hoodie up, it, it captures more of the sound. The hoodie is for echo cancellation. I've... A line that will go down as one of the greats in the annals of podcasting history. Oh, man. It's... um. Yeah, I, I feel it's I wish we had been putting these on YouTube because uh, <laughs> the the delta from my last place where I was right next to windows and had great lighting and had a plant behind me, lots of color. And now I'm just a shadow in the dark. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh, so I guess we should probably do do our thing, right? Yeah, that this is all going in the podcast. This is all that was all gold, uh, and now we will start talking As it about is. Max consecutive ones. This is actually yeah, I, so, I think I solved it. I think I solved it. This is our second time for transparency because at ADSP the podcast we're all about transparency. This is the second time we recorded this on Mother's Day, but it Techn- it was it was a good recording. But I was a bit confused and I was staring at the code that Bryce was sharing with me, and I figured. Our listeners are going to be super lost. So we we said this no, is this is the third time, Connor. Because oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's two, true. That's th- true. Like three week, no, maybe four weeks before that. So okay, all right, all right. We should take a step back. We should take a step back. Nah, let's take first, two steps forward. <laughs> first, Connor, why don't you explain the max consecutive ones? Probably? Right. Yeah. Let's do a mini recap. So this is probably what the second or third time, at least, that this has uh, come up in our podcast. It was a problem that I solved or or showed the solution to using parallel thrust algorithms in my GTC talk that happened in April. And very briefly to recap, uh, you're given a sequence of ones and zeros. And the problem is to simply return uh, the length of the longest contiguous sequence of ones. So for example, if your sequence is one one zero zero one one one, uh, you have basically two sequences of ones, which are of length two and three. So the answer to that problem would be three. And in my talk, the way that I, if you know, you, for the full solution, I guess we'll link to our previous episode where we first talked about this, and I'll also link to the GTC talk. It's basically using a algorithm called thrust reduced by key, which first segments the sequence into contiguous elements 
of equal value. So you're going to end up with three sequences, two ones, two zeros, and uh, three ones. And then by default, it does a plus reduction. So you're going to end up with the values two, zero, and three. All the zeros always sum to zero. And then once you have those three values, you just take a max element. And at the end of that episode, or uh, sort of halfway through, I think we we were discussing, or you were discussing, or I guess we were both discussing. I, wow. I <laughs> said, I think this can be done in a single pass. Correct. A more efficient implementation existed. Now, we, 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 we should... We should clarify that first Connor asked me what algorithm would you use to implement this? And I gave the wrong, I didn't, I, I gave the answer that was not what he had in mind, not what he showed in his CGC talk. And then I was like, ah, but I think it can be done in a single pass. And of course, not, not right. wanting, not being able to live with the shame of having failed to <laughs> accurately identify the algorithm in my own library. <laughs> that did this. An algorithm which two years prior I had taught Connor about. I was like, I must go solve this. And so In 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 your defense, you did at an earlier date and time come to me without even me asking you and said, Hey, you can solve this problem or a similar problem using reduced by key. And at the time yes. I didn't know about it. And, and that, I said, Was that mm, when maybe. we met? Yeah, that was probably when we met. Yeah, that that was literally January of uh twenty 2019, when I think I first gave yeah. the algorithm yeah. intuition talk at the the meetup, which we're going to be attending in like an yeah. hour um, to do a so, C++ now. Okay, recap. so um, after this embarrassing incident where I failed to correctly identify the algorithm that I had taught Connor about, you know, when we first met, that that is an algorithm in my own library. I was like, all right, forget the rest of my Saturday. I am going to go implement this, and I went and I wrote it. Uh, wrote a single pass implementation of this algorithm in terms of a reduction. Um, uh, and, uh, and then I told, I, I got on the, the Twitter DMs and I told Connor, come on, man, we got to go record another episode right now. Like I'm so excited. <laughs> and we recorded and that was some great podcast material. that's never going to see the light of day. And I, and I should add, I should add, you said, let's record a 10 minute addendum. And I think I was in the middle of something and I was like, I, I'm sort of busy. And you were like, just, this will be 10 minutes, 55 minutes of addendum later. <laughs> and the conclusion of that addendum was, because I was still sort of writing the code as I was talking with Connor, the conclusion was, oh, wait, no, there was a bug in my thing. So then I was like, all right, <laughs> yeah. well, cancel that whole that whole 55 minutes. And then, um, then, then I think later that week, I was doing yoga with my mom. I do yoga with my mother twice a week. And inspiration hit me. I realized how I could solve this problem. Um, and, I, and I went and I coded up a little bit, but uh, something distracted me. So I, I, I never mentioned it to Connor again. But then last week, I was speaking with my friend Tony Lewis. And uh, we were talking uh, about uh, what belongs in the C++ standard library, my C++ now keynote. But then at the end of our conversation, he mentioned this podcast episode and this problem. And he said, oh, hey, I think I, I, think I found a solution to it. Um, and he showed me his solution. And his solution was in terms of, in terms of a scan. And we'll explain, we'll explain more about that in a little bit. But I looked at his solution. I was like, aha, yes, this is... Not only do you have the right answer, but this reminds me that Connor and I have to do another attempt at, at, uh, at, at solving this problem in a single pass. And then on Mother's Day, we recorded 
that episode. And then afterwards we were like, well, Connor was like, yeah, the way that we explained that was too confusing. So then now attempt number three <laughs> is today. And also shout out, shout out to all the moms. Happy, happy, happy Mother's, Mother's Day, Day belatedly. <laughs> Hi mom. Thank you for doing, for doing yoga with me. She's a yoga instructor slash lawyer. And uh, she, she gives me free yoga classes on Zoom twice a, uh, twice a week, which is absolutely wonderful. And it's a great way to connect with your mother, especially during a pandemic. And, uh, and tell me, Connor, what did you send your mother from, from uh, Mother's Day? <laughs> Why are you bringing this up? Because now I got to cut this out. <laughs> Our family is not a big gift family. I did a three-hour Zoom call with my three sisters. My dad popped in for a little bit. I was confused. My, my parents don't listen to this, but I was confused on why we didn't invite. I felt so bad for my dad like because it was a three-hour call, and I think he showed up at like the hour and a half mark, and I was like, poor dad. He's just off over in like a different room, <laughs> jealous of I sent my mother <laughs> her favorite wine, two bottles of it, a, a cheese pairing, and I may have sent other stuff. I don't remember. And then I sent my grandmother uh, chocolates, flowers, Probably some other stuff because I I am a good son. Anyways, anyways, let's move on to the algorithm. Okay, so the problem we're trying to solve is we've got an, an input sequence and we want to count all uh, the, the, the longest run of consecutive ones. So we want a single pass parallel algorithm. So whenever we've got a problem that amounts to counting, um, uh, this usually boils down to being a reduction. So something like a count or like a stood count or a max element, et cetera. You're, you're, um, uh, you're looking to, to look through all of the data and, and find, you know, one answer. Um, so the intuition is, okay, maybe we can write this as a single pass parallel reduction. So almost any time that you're paralyzing a problem, the first thing that you do is you split up the input into, you know, sub, sub ranges. And I think that's where we should start in explaining this. So let's imagine we've got our input sequence and we split it up into um, uh, sections. And then we assign some thread to work with each section. Well, let's think about naively what we want each thread to do. Well, we're looking for the longest consecutive run in the entire sequence. So sort of the first thing that seems sensible is the each thread should figure out within its subsequence what's the longest sequence in that region, right? Does that make sense? Yep. Okay. But that's not actually good enough because what if the longest run happened to span across two of these regions that like Thread zero has, you know, 10 elements and thread one has 10 elements. And the longest run spans from the last five elements of thread zero to the first five elements of thread one. Well, now somehow we need to find that sequence. Um, uh, and that means that we have to propagate information from left to right, from thread zero to thread one. So how do we do that? Well, the approach that I took and the approach that Tony Lewis took 
is to create a summary for each region. We'll talk about how that gets created in a minute, but for each sort of chunk of the input, we're going to create a summary. And that summary needs to have three key pieces of information. The first piece of information is what is the longest run in that section? We already said that. That's pretty straightforward. But it also needs to identify what is on the, on the leftern boundary of this section. Um, what, what is the, the character at the leftmost boundary? And how many times is that repeated? So like, let's say that, um, let's say that the start, like we said, thread zero is 10 elements. Let's say that the first two of those elements were zero. Well, then on the left side of thread zero's chunk, there is a run of two zeros. Um, and then let's maybe say at the end of, of that 10 element section, the last three elements are ones. So uh, on the right of thread zero's section, uh, there's a run of three ones. And, and we need that information about what, what, are, what is the first run in each section and the last run in each section. Because when, when the, the, the thread with the next section, the next consecutive section, is looking for its longest run, it needs to ask its neighbor, Right? Because it needs to check, hey, you know, right. I've got a run at the start of my sequence. I have a run of, you know, four ones at the start of my sequence. And I need to know, is there a run of ones at the end of the elements that, you know, are right before my elements? And if there are, then I need to combine that run with this run. Because that might be the longest run. Does that still, that still make sense? Yeah, it makes complete yeah. sense. So how do we get these summaries? Um, uh, well, the, this summary is a data structure. Uh, the way that I structured this data structure is, you know, it, I, first I created a data structure called a run. And a run is just a, uh, a value and a size. The way that I chose to solve this problem, I solved the more general case of counting the max consecutive number of elements of the same value and also recording what their value was. So a run is a value and a size. And then a summary consists of three runs. There's um, uh, the first run in that section. There's the last run in that section. And then there's the longest run in that section. And then there's also a Boolean flag um, that I need to keep because um, there's a special case. And the special case is if the entire section was one element repeated the entire way through. Um, I have to handle that a little bit, a little bit specially. But that's not, that's not super important. Well, it's, it's important to get it right, but it's not sort of critical to the, to the algorithm. So our input is, you know, some value type. Let's just call it T. So when we take two Ts and we feed them into our reduction operator, that's how we generate the first set of summaries. When we reduce two elements, we can create a summary that describes those two elements. Now, likewise, if we have a reduction over one of these summaries in one element, 
we can also uh, 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 combine that into a summary. Because, you know, if you think about it, in a, a, a section, like, if, an, if we have just one element in isolation, um, uh, it's pretty easy to construct a summary to it. If we just have one element, well, the first run in one element is the element itself, and its length is one. The last run for one element is the element itself, and its length is one. And the longest run is the element of itself, and its length is one. And so, um, uh, likewise, you know, in the in the more general case, when we have two different when we have a summary on the left side of the reduction and a summary on the right side of the reduction, um, you know, we can combine those two and produce a summary that describes the entire region. But for all of this to work, we need a guarantee, and the guarantee is that. The summer, the left-hand side of the reduction has to contain information for a set of elements that are before and, and consecutive with the right-hand side. So in the, let's, let's go back to the case of just two, two elements. So our reduction operator needs, to, needs the guarantee that if you call it on two elements of the input sequence, you're calling it on two elements of this input sequence that are right next to each other, that are consecutive, uh, and that there's no elements in between them. And then that produces a summary. And if you reduce two summaries, you need the guarantee that, hey, these are summaries for two regions of elements that are right next to each other. So what do we call this uh, 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 requirement? Um, well, specifically what we're asking for is we want a, uh, a reduction that will not commute the input elements. So, so commutativity is, is the property of an operation that says, you know, A plus B equals, is the same thing as saying B plus A. But in our yep. case, that doesn't work for, for this algorithm. We need a reduction that promises that it won't reorder the inputs in that way. So does C++ have that today? Well, there's std accumulate. std accumulate promises that it won't reorder uh, the inputs. But std accumulate actually makes even stronger guarantees than that. It promises that it will associate the operations in a very specific order. Um, and, and the order that it prescribes completely prevents parallelism which kind of defeats the whole point of what we're trying to do. We want a parallel max consecutive ones. So, so right. accumulate will work for non-commutative and non-associative operations. And what we have here is we have an operation that is non-commutative, but it is associative. Okay, so there is another option, which we added in C++17. It's called std reduce. Stood reduce is like the opposite end of the spectrum from std accumulate. Stood reduce is allowed to arbitrarily reorder the inputs, and it's allowed to perform the operations in whatever order it wants. It's allowed to associate the operations in any way that it wants. So std reduce only supports things that are both commutative and associative. But the benefit of it yep. is that it can be paralyzed. 
But this presents a problem for us because stood reduce, like, again, as I said, we have an operation here that is associative but not commutative. And we want to do a, reduc a parallel reduction on it. And we simply don't have that primitive in C++ today or in Thrust today. Uh, in, in our previous recordings, I, um, I hypothesized that thrust re thrust's reduction might actually make this guarantee, that thrust's reduction might actually not commute the inputs. And so it might actually sil like, like work for this even though it's do not documented that way. But one of my colleagues later pointed out, no, it actually does, it actually does in some cases reorder the inputs. Because um, when, oftentimes when you're, uh, when you're computing things on GPUs, you want to sort of swizzle or transpose the input elements, or instead of doing things exactly in order, you want to sort of do things by slices so that you get memory coalescing. Now, the interesting thing is we, we don't have any reduction operation that does this, but there's another class of algorithms called scans. A reduction gives you back a single result. A scan gives you back uh, a, the partial sums. So it gives you back the result of accumulating, the result of the accumulation um, uh, uh, incrementally. Yes, incrementally. So it gives you every and, and, incremental And partial result. sum is that, yeah, partial sum is actually that's borrowing sort of from the C++, you know, pre-C++11 algorithm name, but arguably like that's that's a suboptimal name because the sum implies like you're sort of hard coding the semantics of the default binary operation plus that comes with the algorithm into the algorithm name, which is why scan, which is what we call the C++17 parallel versions is better because it's you know, even though it's not maybe evocative of what the algorithm's doing, it's it's you you know you can use partial sum to do a partial max or a partial min or a, a partial product. It's 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 basically a reduction that's just every step of the way you're outputting the incremental res result at that point. So to be able to output that incremental result as you go, you need you you, you can't commute the inputs right. That that right, because correct, if, if yeah. you do, then you're gonna you're gonna produce the wrong you know partial results. So these scan operations, these parallel scan operations, like std reduce, the, the C++ parallel scan operations, um, uh, do, not, do not support non-associative operations. But they support non-commutative operations. And that's exactly what we need. We have a reduction operator that is non-commutative, but it is associative. So, you know, what one option would be, you know, okay, well, I, I want to do a sum um, that's uh, uh, associative, but not commutative. I don't have a, a parallel way to do that with std reduce, so I could just use a scan, right? And in fact, I, I think we've learned since we came across this problem that that's what some of our users do. But this is, of course, inefficient. If you just need the one final result, it's quite inefficient that you have to write out all of the incremental sums somewhere. Right. So I think the conclusion of our discovery and our our our, our exploration, our journey, our journey to yeah, this algorithm. That's, that's the word I was thinking of. Our is journey. that we are missing an algorithm. We are missing 
a reduction that is that supports non-commutative operations, but requires that operations uh, uh, be associative. Um, and and we can't just relax. We can't just change std reduce to um, uh, support this because it, it turns out that in our implementation and in, in, in thrust and for GPUs and also in some other implementations, we take advantage of the, the freedom that std reduce gives implementations to reorder the inputs. That's actually a useful thing. So no, what we, what we need is we need a new algorithm. I, I don't know what we call it. Do you have any ideas on what we call it? Well, we didn't we bring this up? You know, we can't talk about uh, all the all the content of the meeting, but we had a meeting earlier in the week at NVIDIA with um, some ISO folks. And didn't Michael Garland, who's the head of research, said we should we should clarify for <laughs> Michael Garland and Bill Daly, who's the actual head of research. Uh, uh, oh, Michael Garland. Am is, I fired? <laughs> Michael Garland <laughs> is the director of our um, uh, parallel uh, systems and algorithms research group. He is not the director of all of NVIDIA research. My bad. This is why. This is why Bryce is. You know, he's climbing the ladder. I. I just. I just typed this stuff into the keyboard. But yeah, uh, Michael suggested associative reduce, and I. I think. You know, even to pause before trying to name it is... It's a terrible name, by the way. This is... Uh, <laughs> this is like the last couple of weeks of going back and forth in, you know, in this, you know, uh, reduction tennis match that uh, Bryce and I have been having um, uh, live on this podcast is that this this has been like a, a monumental sort of... Because reductions are... They're so important. They're so fundamental. I mean, Ben Dean has a whole talk called Stood Accumulate Exploring an Algorithmic Empire where he shows that like 77 of the 90 or of, some, of 90 of the algorithms that exist in the standard uh, library of algorithms in C++ are implementable in terms of a reduction. And, and one of the remarks that I made the very first time I gave my algorithm intuition talk is that, you know, std accumulate, it's a bad name, introducing C++ plus plus 17's std reduce, which is a much better sort of generic name. And in hindsight, uh, I think that's like a mistake to, to like have that as sort of like a, not a motto, but like a slogan of like, you know, introducing C++ plus plus 17 std reduce, a better named version of std accumulate. Because it's not. Fundamentally, std accumulate and std reduce are two different algorithms and basically what what this episode is and which this is probably going to end up going closer to an hour because I, I think it's important is that we're we're you know a std accumulates on the left and it says we don't require anything commutative non-commutative associative non-associative we don't care we'll make it work and std reduce says hold your horses you need both associative and commutative otherwise uh, no bueno we're not doing anything and basically what we've identified here is oh we have a problem Technically, we could solve it using a scan because a scans don't require commutativity, and, and that's what we have here. But we don't want a scan. We want we want an equivalent reduction that does the exact same thing, but that just doesn't require that commutativity. And uh, you know, enter what Bryce just said is we're we're missing this algorithm. And if users actually are scanning, and because that's one of the properties of a scan is that the last element of a scan is always equal to the equivalent reduction. And if that's basically what people are doing is just scanning and then taking the last element, 
there's there's basically perf that's being left on the floor. Um, and and because reductions, in my opinion, they're so fundamental that I, I think that we should definitely be adding this. And it's not the first time, actually. It's the first time this has come up where I've been like, wow, this is this is important. Um, but it's actually come up in meetings on on Rapids, the team that I work on, where people have pointed out, oh, yeah, if we just sort of had like a parallel fold left, um, we could do this a little bit more efficiently. But that was sort of the, you know, that was the last thing that was said. And then we just moved on um, because, yeah. You know, it's so it's so interesting to to see you to have seen you reach that that conclusion, Connor. And I'll tell you why. Because when 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 you and I first met, you were already an algorithms wizard. Um, uh, and you know you we we've told the story before of how we first met when you gave a talk at the Bay Area C user group. Um, on algorithm intuition, and um, uh, afterwards, you know, you and I chatted, and like at least two of the things that we chatted about was one I, I told you about reduced by key, but we also talked about, you know, you you had suggested that accumulate that reduce was a better named version of accumulate. That was the first place we suggested it, and I pointed out to you that in some of your examples that it, it didn't necessarily work because of the assumption of um, of uh, uh, you know, you, you were using some sort of heterogeneous reduction similar to the one that I just described where the reduction operator produces a different type. Like th- this this max yep. consecutive ones op- uh, algorithm I, I described, in that algorithm, the inputs types are Ts, but the reduction operator returns summaries. And then, you know, uh, it also has overloads that take summaries and Ts and reduce summaries and overloads that take yeah, summaries yeah. and summaries. But... Correct me if I'm wrong, before, like at that time when you gave that talk, before you came to work at NVIDIA, you worked on algorithms, but you hadn't really wor- worked on parallel algorithms. Is that right? Co- yeah. Correct, yeah. And it's, you know, now that you've had the experience thinking about how to write parallel algorithms and sort of like where the, that's the default mode that you're in, you know, you, you've, you've come to appreciate the the subtlety and the distinction between those two and how important like these semantics are. Um, and it's just, it's just so, so fascinating to me to see you have reached that point. And, and I think it speaks to something that's really fundamental about parallel programming, which is you, you need this whole different mindset. Um, uh, you know, when, when I think about a problem about how to how to implement an algorithm. I, I'm not the best algorithms person. I, I will freely admit that. That is not my expertise or specialty. If you put Connor and I in a room and ask us to solve an algorithm, Connor's going to probably do a better job of it than me. But I have a bit more experience with parallel programming than Connor. So if you put us in a room and you tell me, like my, my default reaction is going to be to try to solve the problem in parallel. That's just that's just how I've, I've wired myself to think. Um. And, you know, one of the first tools that, that I reach for is, you know, how, is there a way that I can express this in terms of a reduction or like what parallel right, primitive yeah. can I, I express this in? And actually, I think, I think Connor, that you and I have a joint talk in our future, a joint talk in our future. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure there's a, at least one joint and, talk. And I think that not. talk is going to be like how to write reduction algorithms. Because you're right, they are so powerful. 
And, and one of my takeaways from this whole experience has been that um, they're even more powerful than I had thought. And to the, to the degree that a large chunk of my job seems to be identifying how people can rewrite something as a reduction. Right. And that's, and that's the thing is that like, when I think about, you know, you're, you're much more of a, you know, 10 year, 20 year thinker of what does the future of programming look like? But, but, you know, when, when I picture it in my head, you know, there's sort of two, as it stands, like sort of routes you can go to writing some parallel program. You can write CUDA kernels, or you can write your program in terms of algorithms. And I think it's, a, at least for me, it's a lot easier to express or solve a problem in terms of algorithms that other people have written. And, and that might be just my functional programming or APL bias. Like I'm, I'm used to reaching for maps and reductions and partitions and different algorithms and piping them together. That's basically the thrust model. Um, you know, you, you have a collection of algorithms, you find a way to compose your problem uh, and, and select them, or you can go and write a custom CUDA kernel. And, you know, I, I think Leslie uh, Lay posted once, on Twitter, uh, a Drake meme of when he's in that song where he's got like the no and the yes face. And, uh, you know, he says custom kernel, custom CUDA kernels, no uh, thrust algorithms like yes, please, or whatever. And and don't get me wrong. There's a time and a place in Rapids when we need a CUDA kernel for, um, you know, optimal efficiency, or we, we can't express something in terms of thrust algorithms. You know, they're, they're our go-to tool. We, we do that. I'm, we're currently, I'm working on a PR right now that uh, is doing that. But I think for a large percentage of problems, um, they can be easily expressed in terms of whether it's a reduction or an algorithm that's in, you know, thrust or cub. And I think that's going to be a way easier, you know, you use the sort of the the on-ramp uh, analogy all the time. It's a way easier on-ramp to go from, oh, I know how to do std colon colon insert algorithm to thrust colon colon algorithm. Um, and you know, seeing that, like, it's it's made me appreciate, you know, you mentioned, oh, in my talk, I had sort of examples. I can pinpoint one of them, and it was implementing count if in terms of a std reduce. And that doesn't work um, because basically your accumulator is going to be some size T or some int 32, which is keeping track of how many. And then your uh, element that you're currently looking at could be anything. It's just a value type. Um, and so what if you're counting the number of 42s that show up in a list of numbers? Well, due to the fact that you're using a std reduce, usually in an in a, in accumulate, your accumulator's on the left, so that's your running sum of how many times we've seen this, and then your value uh, of whether that's a 42 or a non-42 number is going to be your, your right uh, element in your binary operation. But std reduce, it could swap those around and then accidentally, instead of doing a plus one because you've encountered a 42, you actually added 42 to your running sum. So it completely breaks. Um, and I think I, I had an idea at the time that I was writing this code and it didn't work. But I, I, I was just like, yeah, but I just like stood reduce. It's just a better name. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I don't want to type stood accumulate on my slide where I want to type stood reduce. And that was, uh, I think it's a, it's an okay mistake to make at that time. But in hindsight, um, I, I definitely... I'm sad and that I, I did. I wonder cause... whether you could do that count if implementation with the missing reduce algorithm. You can do it with the missing reduce, aka associative reduce, or find the better name. But there's already an existing algorithm that you can solve that problem with. 
Ooh, play along. We're playing the we're playing the play along game where Bryce guesses the algorithm. And if you um, see, I would have thought I would have assumed that it was reduce. Um, so if you're an APL programmer listening to this problem, so here's the problem. Just just that we're we're implementing count if, which is an algorithm that. Uh, given a list of numbers or a list of values, but we'll simplify it. We just assume we have a list of numbers. It returns you the number of times that number shows up. So assume you've got the list 1, 2, 3, 42, 4, 5, 6, 42, and you're searching for 42. Countif will return you two. And if you're an APL programmer or a J programmer or an array-oriented thinker, um, you've already solved this problem in your head, guaranteed. And uh, this is exciting. So, so in Thrust, we implement it as a transform reduce. Woo! There we go. That's a ding, ding, ding. Which is which is awesome because this is exactly how you solve it in APL. So in APL, what you would do is you'd go 42 equals your list, and that's going to turn it into a Boolean array of ones and zeros. So it'll be 0, 0, 0, 0, 1, 0, 0, 0, 0, 1, and then you just do a plus reduction. And in C++ or thrust, uh, you're just going to do the exact same thing with the transform reduce. Note that this is the transform reduce that just has a single range, so it applies a unary operation to transform the integers into ones and zeros or trues and falses, and then you do a plus reduction. This is, um, it, this is very similar to one of my favorite examples, the parallel word count one, where, which you implement with transform reduce, with a, with a binary transform right, reduce. Right. And the idea, that we, I'm sure we've talked about it before, but the idea there is that as a transformation, you, 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 take, you do a binary transform where it takes two inputs and what you do is you look at the left element, like two consecutive elements at a time, and you return whether that's the end of a word. And you do that by checking right. is the character on the left um, uh, a non-space and the character on the right is a space. Okay, then it's an end of the word. And so then that produces a, uh, an intermediate sequence of ones and zeros where each one represents the end of a word. And then you just reduce that. And it's it's so elegant. Right. And and that algorithm that I think yeah we've explained you've explained that before the transform reduce that takes two ranges that are just using the zip tail trick uh, that could be an algorithm um, and I actually presented it in the same algorithm intuition talk not like a parallel version but it's easily parallelizable with the implementation you explain where it's called adjacent reduce mm, yes. so basically exactly exactly similar to adjacent difference or or what should have been named adjacent transform or adjacent find where you're looking at adjacent elements and then at the end of the day for this we're just doing a reduction and doing basically a plus one whenever we see a, a character and then a space because um, that denotes the end of a word um yeah it's a that's a great algorithm that shows up you all know, the time the, the thing that makes reductions so powerful is that it is a way to pass global information um, uh, efficiently. Like I want to I want to do something that requires me to know something about all the elements in this sequence, you know, uh, uh, that requires all of them to in some way to communicate. Uh, and and a reduction is a super efficient way of doing that communication because that communication builds up over time. Uh, what, what, like one of, one of the things that, uh, in my previous job, when I, when I worked in HPX, one of our fundamental tenets was to always localize communication and reduce really, really, really localizes communication because it, it ends up localizing it down to two, you know, actors at once. And, you, you know, on sort of the, the, you know, one of the points you made earlier about 
um, you know, how much more powerful a language like APL can be for parallel programming than writing things by hand. Um, I think you're really right about that. And I think that there's, I think that there's still a revolution to come there. Um, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of interesting research these days and a lot of interesting, uh, 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 things that have been put into production around, uh, these machine learning graph compilers that where there are these compilers where, um, the, the underlying IR, the underlying operations that are supported are all fundamentally parallel operations. Um, now they're parallel operations that are sort of specific to the domain of machine learning, but I think that that sort of technology is applicable to just general, yeah. you know, sequence algorithms. So if you if you ima imagine a imagine an assembly language where every one of your operations is not operate on scalar data, but operates on sequences of elements, and where it's all parallel, and um, I, I, the, one of the nice things about this model where you express your code in terms of some known algorithms, some known corpus of algorithms, that is, in, in comparison to accelerating arbitrary code, accelerating a, coll like a collection of calls to known algorithms is way easier. Because all you have to do yeah. is you have to implement those known algorithms efficiently. And... And especially, you know, it makes it easier to build specialized hardware, um, uh, specialized accelerators, which is increasingly important in our post-more era. So I, I think that there is a, another revolution of functional programming languages that's yet to come. You know, the, the, the parallel yeah. APLs of the future. Who knows? Maybe you'll make one. Maybe it'll be you. <laughs> No, Bryce, you're just, <laughs> you've done this so that you can say, I remember back on episode 25 when I planted that seed and I've already been thinking about this for like, since I've fallen in love with APL. I when you started working at NVIDIA, do you remember what I told you you were going to do? I told you you were going to build for me the next parallel programming language. That actually, if we're going to be technical technical about it, that was even before I started at NVIDIA. No, no, no I, that, that, was before, uh, <laughs> that was before you knew that you'd started at NVIDIA. Yeah, I think technically what happened is I, I had left my job at Amazon in like mid-September of 2019. Um, yeah, that sounds right. And then CppCon was like in the third week of September. And I want to say I actually like signed my offer. No, I did sign it when I was in Vancouver, um, uh, which I can't even remember. That was the week after CppCon. But I remember distinctly being at CppCon in like the gathering welcome room. Or I don't even know. It was like it's the main area of that like lodge. And then we were sitting on the couch and uh, there was a couple people around and you were like, all right, here's our code name project. <laughs> Uh, you already had come up with a code name for a project that didn't exist yet. And, uh, yeah, yeah. it's, uh, it's an exciting space. Graph compilers right now, sort of, they only exist in these, you know, machine learning, uh, applications, but, uh, I don't know much about them, but it definitely seems like there's a use case for like a more generalized yeah. graph compiler that it's not just, you know, linear algebra that's sitting on top of it it's just it's a language um and yes it's going to be a constrained language but that's basically what 
the uh, APL family of languages are. Um, and honestly, like when you, I, I'm not, we've, I've probably mentioned this before, but if you look at the popularity of uh, the most popular Python libraries, like what's the number one Python library? Well, it's NumPy. NumPy. Yeah. And NumPy is basically just a variant of APL. Half of the functions in NumPy get their names directly from APL. Reshape, uh, shape, I don't know all of them, but uh, it, it's basically there's articles that have been written that uh, talk about how NumPy is a, a ghost of Iverson, who is the individual who created the language. Anyways, I want to circle back to you asked me what what should this so we, we're going full circle to like 30 minutes ago <laughs> when you asked what should the name of this missing algorithm uh, this. And, and, I'll, and I'll, I'll tell you why I think associative reduce is a bad name, because one um, uh, associative, the fact that it's for operations that are associative is not the important part. The important thing is that it does not commute. Mm, the yeah. Books. It doesn't require commutativity. So, yeah. Now, but non-commutative reduce be a bad <laughs> name too, because I think it's the more common case than reduce. So, and I guess maybe a question too, is if, if we could, you know, what should we name this missing algorithm? And on top of that, if we could name std accumulate, std reduce, and this lost algorithm, you know, carte blanche, if that's, if that's the correct way to say that. Yeah. Oh, and also, I'm going to just interject here. Um, this I meant to say this earlier, and if I don't say it now, I'll forget. Uh, there were two people on Twitter that I actually, I believe, came to the solution that we expo- explained. Uh, yeah. So Jean-Marc, I'm going to mispronounce your last name. I apologize. Uh, Bourget. It's B-O-U-R-G-U-E-T. Um, so I apologize. And then also uh, Toby Isaac, I believe, um, both have a solution with this sort of summary object that's got four pieces of information you know the ones at the left the right and the max um so we weren't well well and and we have to thank tony lewis who if 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 tony had not uh mentioned this at the end of our of our uh zoom call i would have totally forgotten and we ne- this episode never would have happened so thank you tony. yeah thank you tony this is uh and it's i think it's a really important i hope folks this is definitely going to be one of our longer episodes but um <laughs> especially if i include the stuff about my sock drawer <laughs> at the beginning <laughs> but uh so what do we so, yeah, what do we what, call what these do you think you'd name it? um well there's fold like, but like C plus plus twenty three ranges are going to probably use fold for something. But, I, I just know, finished telling Barry Revzin earlier a couple hours ago because he was asking me on the naming of uh, the proposed C plus plus twenty three reduction algorithm, and I said I think I'm going to write a paper just like purely on the namings naming of fold because we already have std accumulate and reduce, and I don't think we're going to. How, how do you how do you feel about the fold? Like Barry wants fold with initial value to have a different name than just fold and i want the python thing where they're they have the same name they're just overloads i honestly like i i don't know how i feel because i've looked at too many languages and like have forgotten you know i know haskell does like fold fold l fold r and then fold l1 and fold r1 uh barry just linked me uh, apparently Rust used to call it fold first, and now they they just finished renaming fold first, um, which I believe is the one without the initial value to reduce. And I think that's what a... Wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. How can fold first be the one without the initial value? Like, the, uh, I, I, I completely 
misunderstood those names because I assumed fold first was the one with the initial value. Let's open uh, let's open Slack so I don't get this wrong. I told Barry to talk to you too, by the way. Um, I don't know that I CC you in that email, but my my so so key key management and leadership tip for people: <laughs> quickly <laughs> learn how to hand off emails and tasks whenever possible to someone else, even if that person doesn't technically work for you. Well, you, well, you you got to You got to give me some name ideas for this new algorithm, because because I I am I am gonna go make somebody implement this in thrust. <laughs> Actually, actually, th- there's a chance that that uh, that the person who's impl- who's going to be implementing this, uh, who is starting at Nvidia soon, um, is listening to, listening to this right now and is wondering, hmm, when he says I'm going to make somebody go do that, does he mean me? The answer is yes. If you're starting at Nvidia and my team in like two weeks, this will probably be a task that you'll do. So I I still don't because I need to read the details and I will go and fix this in post. But one of the alternatives for fold first that was being suggested was try fold first, which almost definitely makes me think that it is the one that doesn't take an initial value because the try implies that you might fail. And the way you fail is if you have an empty list. So I'm I'm almost positive that like fold first is the one that means just use the initial use the first element of the list as your initial value. And so yeah, uh, Haskell Haskell has fold L and fold R and those one takes those ones take initial values and then they have fold L1 and fold R1 which don't take initial values. A lot of languages they just choose two different algorithm names like fold and reduce and you just need to know oh the reduce is the one that doesn't take an initial value i think that's what basically ended up happening to rust and i don't know what what i'm going to do is i'm going to go and look at every single language um and and then that's and that's the thing is on top of like initial values or not initial values there's these associative associativity and commutativity requirements yeah i would be really it would be really interesting to see a survey of what other languages call these and w- whether the associativity and commutivity is uh, is is respected in in the various names of those things. So yeah, go make me one of your pretty tables. It'll be yeah, it'll yeah. be in the form of a paper. Maybe so, I'll make a YouTube video as well. Um, honestly, I think that it, I think that if if not for the fact that that we were going to use the name fold for the ranges version of accumulate, I would probably use the name the name fold for this. Um, I I yeah. feel like if I were doing this from scratch, um, I don't know. There's a part of me that actually wants like. Uh, the requirements of associativity and commutativity to be represented by the word like par, par underscore, um, or like put that in a namespace so that like the parallel algorithms yeah. could have been like stood colon colon par colon colon. Um, and then we could have just used the same names, um, arguably. Uh, no, it's actually interesting. If you look at um, libstud C++'s implementation of std reduce, not the parallel version, one, but just the regular one, yeah. you'll see that even if you're not worried about parallelism, the redu- like like they have a more efficient implementation mm. because um, uh, uh, they don't have to you know they don't have to avoid commuting and they can just associate the operations however they want. So um, it's not necessarily inherent to parallelism. So yeah, I, I feel um, like there's like a space though for like just the calling the accumulate fold left and then having a fold right version just for symmetry. And then um, having like parallel fold left and parallel fold right, and then having like parallel fold. And 
you're not explicitly pointing out that like, oh, the parallel fold left doesn't require uh, that your operation be commutative, but that's implied. Because I think it's actually what's what's more important is the behavior. And honestly, like until you, at least for me, until I got hit over the head with like commutativity and associativity like four different times, I could never remember which one was which. And actually, one of the things that helped is that in APL, there's an operator called commute which basically swaps the order of arguments to a, a two-argument function. So if you, like, it's a very classical thing to do if you have a minus operation or you're trying to do a minus reduction on something and you need to swap it. Well, instead of writing some uh, custom lambda or what they call a defund in, in APL, you just, you apply the commute operator to the minus operation and then with a single character, you swap the order. Um, Subtraction is a great example of something that, of an operator that does not support uh, uh that's that's not associative that does not support you know be uh stood reduce um uh now you you could use it it's just the like you know you, you might get unexpected results whereas addition you know and I, when i when i say sub- subtraction i mean like subtraction on the set of natural numbers um likewise addition on the set of natural numbers is a good example of something that that does support commutative that that uh sorry i said associativity there i meant commutativity for all of what i just said <laughs> yeah i know that in um in uh in q which is a array language they have parallel versions of some of their functions and they just prefix it with a p um so they have like each which uh, i don't i think that that's i think that that's wrong though i think that i think that that the, these semantics are not about parallelism so you don't like the fold left, parallel fold left, and parallel fold? No, I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't think it's about parallelism. I think it's about commutivity and associativity. But I think those are just words that are too long to put into the name. But so, you, what is your take on like parallel and left implying that you don't need a commutative operation and parallel with you know fold or whatever, not require or requiring both of them? Um, like you're like so you're saying that really what's key is associativity and commutativity, but is there yeah. is there no way to name I, the I, algorithms I, 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 that like doesn't make that explicit and overwhelm the user or should we just expect that in twenty years parallelism is going to be everywhere and it's just going to be the the same way that learning what std accumulate does and how um, important that algorithm is we're going to expect people to know what whatever the different variants of these parallel versions are. So as I often say, one of my goals is to normalize parallelism. Um, uh, and I, I just think that the way that the algorithm is executed should be completely divorced from the, the, the semantics that it expresses. Like, uh, you should, like a stood reduce, and like this is why there is both a, when we had to introduce a new, like a std reduce because we couldn't parallelize std accumulate, we didn't just add a parallel version of it. We didn't just call it parallel accumulate. There is both a std reduce that takes an execution policy and one that doesn't. Right, right. Um, and I, I think that that's absolutely essential that you separate parallelism from the semantics of the algorithm. There are some algorithms that you want specifically because they're more useful in parallel execution, but um, I don't think that you should say that those are, you know, parallel algorithms. Yeah, I'll have to. I'll have to think. I'll have to think. I'll have to write the paper. And um... my, my guess is that like one naming scheme that 
would probably be if if the if the naming scheme was like very clear like like uh you know I, I, maybe non-commutative reduce isn't the worst in the world that's actually the name of if you look in the wording for std reduce and for in and for the scan algorithms we actually have these things called generalized sum and then generalized non-commutative sum so maybe non-commutative uh reduce isn't the worst wor- name in the world again i think that it's actually more useful than than reduce um uh i'll boldly claim that i mean um, it's is that even a bold claim it's a it's a less restricted algorithm of course it's going to be um uh stood reduce if you don't need if you don't need the freedom right right it's uh um it, you may take a big performance hit for it right um like if, if you if you if your operator is commutative you may may take a big performance hit from from invoking the version of the algorithm that assumes that you can't commute that'd be actually i would i'd um, be interested to maybe i should go that's if i ever come out of retirement from speaking uh profiling this kind of stuff on a yeah. variety of problems it would be in, interesting to see and, and, what is the impact yeah to explain why we'd have to do a whole separate episode talking about memory coalescing and you know we we've we've talked a few times about how to get olivier on this podcast to explain <laughs> to people what gpus are and maybe that's the way to do it is that we tell him hey because last the last time we talked to olivier <laughs> he was like that's such a big topic you have to give me some parameters and so maybe the parameters that we give him is we tell him uh yeah come on and explain memory coalescing explain how like the world of memory traffic is completely different on cpus and gpus in terms of what's optimal um boy this is just going to be a really difficult episode for you to cut there's no clear middle point we normally <laughs> i don't i don't like I, this we, i don't think i'm going to split this i think i'm just going to release it all <laughs> as one because uh it, it deserves that but like no the audience should understand that normally when connor and i record we record on saturday mornings saturday mornings for me saturday afternoons for him normally we record for an hour and a half and that becomes like three episodes <laughs> this is not that yeah we're at like what an hour and 15 minutes and uh I really want to include the sock stuff, so it's just you're, you're going to be if you're if you've listened I through. I, it's, I only uh, got an hour and five. I only got an hour and five minutes here on my on my recorder. So my my <laughs> remember <laughs> when we started this podcast? How long did we say episodes were going to be? Uh, my goal was thirty minutes, and then it became like an average of thirty-five, and I was like, "Ah, that's perfect. Thirty-five I, minutes uh, is." Uh, I thought that we said. I thought that we said twenty. Oh yeah, if, yeah. If Actually, goal that's true. 30. Because yeah, a magic read-along is like roughly twenty. It's like a long episode yeah. for them is like thirty minutes. Um, that that Have was. Have we the ever goal. had an episode under twenty under twenty minutes? No, I think our shortest ever was like twenty-three, <laughs> and that was because that was the episode on uh, <laughs> our impromptu episode on inclusive language that happened inception like because we ended up recording it in the midst of another episode um i'm sure if we had set out just to talk about that from the get-go it would have ended up being 40 minutes easily yeah and all right well we should probably shut up before this becomes uh yep uh unbearably long but uh, Uh, anyways we will we will put the uh the god ball with the uh implementation of this algorithm now uh i have i have done some verification that it's correct but um i I I do not know that I currently have any parallel implementation of this of the reduction that I need to actually test this. So, uh, uh, but 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 don't worry, I will soon have somebody 
put this into into thrust and then we'll be able to uh to play around with it yep thanks for thanks for staying tuned in this long or you know potentially we're talking to nobody and everybody turned us off at this point <laughs> um <laughs> that's also possible <laughs> but uh, this is this podcast's really more for to make us feel good than to than for the audience anyways right thanks for listening and have a great day